0: This is Mission.org. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm your host, Jeremy Bergeron, the Vice President of Media Strategy at Mission.org. And this is the show where twice a week you'll get VIP access into the hearts and minds of some of the most influential marketers in the world. On Marketing Trends, we'll do two things. We'll go deep on a human level, and we'll go even deeper on the nitty-gritty of what makes for the most successful marketers and strategies today. I'm glad you're here. Now let's get into it. The key to successful marketing really lies in the ability to seamlessly communicate with consumers to know what they want, when they want it, and then communicate with them so they can actually get it. In a world of incredibly competitive industries, especially in Chrissy's industry, quick and efficient marketing can be the difference between a business surviving or not. Chrissy Nolan is the CMO of Collier's and she's made a name for herself as a person who can see the places where critical communication can be improved. And Collier's has benefited greatly from her vision.
1: We're really fortunate to not lay off anybody during COVID. And we actually went through a huge growth phase. So we were having to onboard people remotely, which was new and challenging in and of itself. But these uh, metrics that we are able to pull, we realized that if we created these dashboards for our clients, that we weren't losing any property.
0: To hear all about Chrissy, and how she went from front desk manager at a boutique real estate firm with a bold idea to switch to digital innovation to chief marketing officer for one of the largest real estate companies in the world. Be sure to tune into this week's episode of Marketing Trends. Let's just talk about being parents and we can do a little bit of marketing. (laughs) Let's just talk about parents. You were a surrogate mom for your sister. It's an amazing, that was an amazing part of your journey. And like, what was that like? And I'm not sure it's related to marketing, but I just want to know what that experience was like, because I know it was in your bio.
1: Yes. So she was a two-time cancer survivor and we knew at a young age that she wasn't going to be able to have children. So I always, when I didn't know what it really entailed, I'd be your... surrogate for you um and she was like no i'm gonna adopt but then she got married and her husband was really interested in having his own kids and um it made the most amount of sense because it was at that point in time she had already um there was no way for her to even recover any eggs or anything so this was great because it was a mix of her own genes and it was a really not as expensive or evasive Process. It was like uh, going to the doctor and doing like an official turkey baster type thing, and right. Uh, it took wow. three tries. Wow. So I mean, we almost gave up after the third try, but we got uh, we got pregnant. The funniest story on that, probably throughout the whole process, is we were so excited it finally happened, and my um, one of my daughters had to go to the doctor's office, and my husband took them, and um, as soon as the doctor walked in, the younger one blurted. My mommy's pregnant with Uncle Corey's baby. <laughs> <laughs> And my husband oh, was like, let man. me explain. I wasn't in the room. <laughs> what had happened was. Yes. And so it was um oh, we wow. quickly don't talk about other people's business. <laughs> um they were young. They were about eight. Okay. Um, and so it it was it was great to be um completely transparent and honest with them about the progress, yeah, uh, you know, the process. Wow. They technically have a half sister, half cousin. Ah. So it's been it's an ongoing I think processing, but it's a gift that keeps on giving, you know, the joy that she brings um, to them, you know, making them parents. And then the joy she brings to our family during the holidays and just watching her grow
0: up. She's three now. I'm going to say, okay, she's three. Okay. So um,
1: her perk, you know, her personality is coming out and um, it's just a great joy.
0: Oh, it's amazing. you get to see her quite often? Are they, are they live in the area or? Yes,
1: they live, they, uh, they live nearby. They, we go to the same church and um at the very beginning, I decided not to see here for about six weeks just okay. to let my hormones wash out and not to try to take any ownership of the way things were, you know, how things were being done. And yeah. so that separation was, uh, was great because it was like getting to meet my niece, but it's a lot, you know, six weeks is a long time. So, yeah. And I, I was able to kind of fully recover and heal.
0: And wow. so. Wow. What a journey. Have you ever written about this or? Spoke about this at all?
1: No, there, there. I did write one thing um, okay. because of the surrogacy process. I didn't breastfeed, and so that actually caused the post-birth to revert. And even though I had given birth twice before, um, you know, my my body naturally um, healed itself. But because of the without breastfeeding, there was like without getting too technical, I should have been like massaging my stomach and I wasn't. And so I came to a very close near death experience Whoa. where I was at home a couple of weeks later and I started bleeding and it had my husband not been home and he was a police officer. So, and he kind of knew like when to call the ambulance. Wow. Um, I don't know if I would have made it another 15, 20 minutes. And so Whoa. we're just so lucky to live near great healthcare. And so that, so I, I did write about that experience just because I didn't, I I felt um, that it could inform that like even though I had gone through it, that was my third time going through it. I really didn't know what my body should have been doing, and so that's something that I could have better monitored, um, mm. especially as someone that was a surrogate. I think that I should have, I you know, I should have known.
0: Wow. Well, so so having been a mom, having carried two other kids, it's mm-hmm. two two daughters, right? Two daughters, okay, two girls. Was the third just pregnancy, was it easier because it was the number three? It's like you've been here before your body. Like you said, you knew you had some stuff post that happened, but what about just that experience of being number three? Was it like, I got this?
1: Um, it Well, I was almost 10 years older, so, okay. Okay. So, okay. so my body wasn't as, I definitely took more naps. I, had okay. a, I was lucky enough to have a couch in the office and I would lay down just for about 15 minutes. But I just could wow. not stay awake, but um, about 15 minutes is all I needed. And then I bounced back, Wow! but wow. I, I definitely didn't have that kind of, uh, fatigue <laughs> the first time
0: around, man, that's amazing. That's quite, cool. I, um, yeah, it's just, a, it's a really what a cool story. And I'm sure this is an interesting community of people who, you know, who have done that as well in different forms and variations. And I think it makes, yeah, it makes a really pretty magical beginning of a story of like, okay, now where are you going? Where is she going? And your sister and how does this all play out. So that's really cool. So you grew up in
1: Houston. Houston.
0: So you are H town through and through. Mm-hmm. Grew up in Houston, went to U of H, studied marketing at U of H? Yes. Okay. So was there, I know I saw in your in your profile that you started like there was this kind of boutique commercial real estate firm. You were like a marketing specialist there. So when did the like love affair with marketing start? Was that in college? Or was that before like something when, when did you start to dance with marketing of like this is something I want to kind of get into
1: so my mom is the executive director of the local women's center. Okay. And so I was her best volunteer and I started learning a lot about marketing through volunteer projects from stuffing envelopes for invitations, for watching her network and, you know, try to get the sales of um, donations and, ah. um, and sponsors to these events and um, what it would take to you know to put her best foot forward um, for and and the benefits that the organization got because of those marketing components and what was needed and so that was kind of my first eye into it and then I've been a tech nerd um, for a really long time I took three years of computer science in wow in uh, high school was one of the only girls wow. in that senior you know, computer science three. And what so, language were
0: you studying? That in? Were we going back to Java or what? <laughs> it was like CS. C- OK, OK, OK. All right. Old school. Yeah.
1: And so being able to combine those two things and make websites and kind of speak that HTML language to make things come to life, it uh-huh. was um, not something that a lot of people um, enjoyed doing or like to do. And so when I found this marketing gig, the biggest thing that they needed was a website, even though it was 2007. And so I was like, yes, I can, I can build you a website. But I I, I did honestly go to Google and like, how do you build a website? <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I love it. Um, and from there, it's, uh, I was fortunate to land in this commercial real estate industry that, you know, it's not a well-known or well-versed industry to a lot of people. You don't grow up saying, I want to be in no. this industry. Um, it's very much a niche. And I uncovered this world um, that doesn't have, um a lot of, um, it didn't have a lot of uh, marketing technology at the beginning. It, it, it is very much, um, there's a lot of new um, brands and companies that are entering our space and it's kind of hard to choose between all of them. It's almost like which one's going to talk to our systems the best and which one's going to allow us to be more proficient versus take a ton of time to implement as it goes. But before there just wasn't a lot of a lot of marketing technology um, at the very beginning.
0: Okay. So this was at the, this was, you're talking about at the the small boutique? Yes, which merged with Collier's. Okay, so that's an interesting intersection. So as a marketing specialist, you started off at this boutique, you know, commercial firm where you built their website, you really got into, you know, like you said, creating things that come to life and connecting with people online. There wasn't a lot of technology,
1: No, they were still mailing their flyers at that point in time. And so I digitized them and we started emailing the people interested in properties. Okay.
0: Okay. So then Collier's acquired this? We we merged with
1: uh, Collier's to um, win a big, a big new development. And we were, the local boutique firm was like the boots on the ground and Collier's was the tools and resources of the global firm and we were the perfect pair to be able to, to market this new development.
0: So were they a pretty big organization at that point when they They merged? were.
1: Collier's has okay. a unique uh, marketing story. We knew on the on the publicly traded um, realm, but when I first started, we had just recently... Um, or when I first joined, we had recently done a marketing rebrand where everybody was almost like law firms, where it was like Collier's McCall or Collier's Appelt Womack. And so they had made the decision in 2010 to everybody go by Collier's International. And that was a big change. We had a new logo, we had new branding standards. And so I helped the company convert over into those, um, into those new standards. And then Ten years later, almost, we went through another rebrand um, where we dropped the gradient in our logo. We dropped the word international. It was really hard to see anyways once we got it so small. Mm-hmm. And um, so now it's just colliers. We figured that we were that that ne- uh, none of our other bigger competitors have the word international in them and, okay. you know, and they're um, international. So that was no longer needed. Mm. And so we, re- uh, we re- recently went through that rebrand where um, where we just gave i i don't know if it's like about every 10 years where every you know a company feels like it needs a new you know just a little bit of a yeah. of a new shift but we were definitely ready for some new fresh marketing materials too okay
0: was that something that you kind of spearheaded the latest rebrand like was that something you're like we need to do this how did that conversation even start
1: no it was something that we were hit- that we were hinted on and we were you know we had conversations that it, it was needed especially since we had just become publicly traded it was it was how do we evolve to the next level and so that's when those conversations um were taking place and then we were about to launch a couple weeks after COVID hit, and so we took a pause and we waited we decided that that wasn't the right time and so we waited about a year and what was great about that is that we had already put forth everything about the new brand and so we had a year to develop all of these new templates and materials and tools to make the brand easier to use and easier to implement. And so then that way, every marketer across the world would be able to access these templates. Um, And so, you know, getting a digital asset management system that everybody could access, integrating it with the system instead of it being kind of rushed and maybe even like kind of put together across the world. I feel like that year gave us a really good stepping stone of getting everybody on that same page and mm. then being able to develop a lot of training around the new brand and i haven't really seen a ton of people misuse uh the new brand like our old brand <laughs> so that's exciting
0: what prompted the latest rebrand like what was the the reason for it the latest one
1: the la- it was to i think get our logo into this you know, into the century, we, we, we started a gradient, we were using that word international. So we dropped that, it's easier to see, um, more visible. It has a whole, new, we, uh, the theme about uh, behind it was own the blue. So we have a new blue and we you know, pushing that forward, you know, across all of our property material and, and assets. Um, after 10 years of having the same templates before, um, we were kind of all over the place. And so this has been great to kind of bring us back mm-hmm. together because we have a lot of different marketer, uh, marketing professionals touching right. um, all of our assets across the world.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask you about that, too. It seems like with the the presence that, you know, that Collier's has and we we're talking about 65 plus countries, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, four billion plus a year in revenue, huge numbers of team across the world in terms of marketing. Is it decentralized where there's like marketing folks in these places or do you feel like everything is coming from. The hub in Houston where you are and the, and the main team is like, what does that look like?
1: Actually, our corporates in Canada. Okay. Uh, which has been interesting when is we went public. Where is is it Quebec? Yes. Yeah, okay. so, so it wasn't always there. Okay. Um, but having a corporate team in Canada um, is interesting just because we're so used to everything being the United States. And even when our new signatures came out, like the Colliers.com was linked to Colliers Canada. And we're like, what is happening? <laughs> 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 so there's been a little bit of some faux pas um, there and learning lessons and sure. you know things that we didn't realize that we would have to double check. So it's very decentralized. Okay. We have a, a core team that makes a lot of um, very the, the standard branding, marketing core decisions, and then it gets pushed out.
0: Okay. Okay. So starting with the core team and then how do you have the team? Like, what's the team look like? Is there, you know, demand gen folks? Like, is it, is it segmented by folks that are part of different parts of the funnel or is it by industry segment? You know, how does it? How's the team actually like structured?
1: So we have both, okay. we, we have both, we have very localized experts. And then we also have people on the national and global team that are pushing best practices down. And then we also are splitting up into regions. So then that way we can get best practices and push them up as well. So we have both happening at the same time. Wow. Okay. Um, and we have a head, you know, head of technology, head of marketing. And so we have different people in those positions to focus on those different areas.
0: Okay. So what's the, what's kind of the focus this year? We're in 2022. What is like the landscape looking like now in your space? What are you, what are you really focused on right now in the next year? So one
1: of the biggest things that we found from uh, a metric that we had pulled, we were able to put all these great dashboards together um, during some of the downtime initially when COVID happened, when we were all kind of set home and we were figuring, we, we even actually had you know extra bandwidth and um, the source of our receptionist, right? You know, she didn't have a place or do, to do anything, but very bright. And so we're able to tap into like, here, let's, you know, le- uh, let's get you onto our team and um, get you productive. And so we're really fortunate to not lay off anybody um, during COVID. And we actually went through a huge growth phase. So we were having to onboard people remotely, which wow. was um, new and challenging um, in and of itself. But these metrics that we're able to pull, we realized that if we created these dashboards for our clients, that we weren't losing any property or we weren't losing, I mean, I think up to like 86% of the clients that we may have lost in 2020 didn't have dashboards. So that has been a big initiative this year is that instead of Without dashboards, we're giving them maybe weekly or monthly updates and dashboards allow us to give it to them 24 seven. It keeps us accountable, having to keep it updated and so forth. And our clients are really uh, loving that. And so a huge initiative is how do we implement this? Not just for all of our listings locally, but regionally and and nationally, because we're able to sync the data.
0: Hmm. So it sounds like you weren't but the great resignation didn't really impact Collier's. You said, I mean, there's a lot of industries that got hit really hard, where it sounds like you guys were actually growing. You're onboarding people and hiring.
1: We did lose people that wanted to either be closer to their families, you know, now that they weren't able to go out. And so we did have, you know, people move back home. We kept a few of those. And because, you know, we were all remote anyways. Mm-hmm. And so we still have a few people that that live away from the, you know, original city that they were hired in. And then we did lose uh, people to, you know, just different states so they could be back home. So, but we had to hire for those positions and then we had to learn how to onboard remotely.
0: I mean, so many companies had to pivot so, so rapidly and it's crazy sometimes to hear how fast they had to to move to, you know, you know, they were planning maybe this huge event they had to pivot and make it virtual or onboard a ton of new employees that were already slated to come in the office or, Mm -hmm. you know change, you know, entire ways that teams are collaborating because they're no longer coming in and see that's it's interesting to hear some of the things that were done there. Okay. So you said this dashboard is a big deal. Now this dashboard is telling your customers what
1: they're telling them where their property is being marketed. So okay. linked to all of their properties, it is telling them Um, When we send emails in regards to their property, their stats, the open rate, how many people it was sent to, the click rate, um, any active prospects, um, market data, so any competitive sets that's around there. If someone's looking for that type of property, any recent requirements that um, have come across, and then um, some market data, so some stats about Mm. the vacancy um, and very similar product. So all of that in one place that they can see um, and it's uh, it's updated 24-7.
0: Wow. So is that something that Collier's built in-house? Yes. Wow. That's interesting. Yeah, build versus buy like you decided, hey, we're going to build it, customize it for our customers.
1: Right. So we have a lot of different segments and some information we do outsource and some information we, you know, we we bring in and then we decide to database those and manage those ourselves. So just depending on what it is, but finding a solution that allows us to tap into that data easily Mm -hmm. and using it for whatever purpose we need. So the same database used thousands of different ways has been a key into the success of our recent initiatives and something that we're investing in to expand upon.
0: Wow. So you guys had a ton of data, you know, obviously with, with all of the properties and, you know, the people that you're serving across these industries. Was it overwhelming to kind of take that data and then now, okay, now we're going to house this in a dashboard or pull from this data to display that? Was that a, just a, a beast of a project in and of itself?
1: I think it was it was slow. Like the 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 dashboards that we see today are a culmination of the last three to four years uh, of building it, and you know it it definitely wasn't um, overnight. And so we um, had to say we were just accessing it a really long and hard way before. Like every time we needed this data, we had to pull it from the original source, reformat it, and put it through. Where now it's all in one place, okay. and we're not having to um, do like those individual queries. Wow.
0: Did you make investments in data science at all or any t- sorts of like, you know, ways to look at this intelligence and this data that you have to tell you new things or maybe, yeah, to tell a different story or?
1: No, the, the platform that we're using is no code, okay. And so it, we did do an investment of training everyone on our, on our support staff the software and having them be comfortable and even get certified ah. and so um, we have a couple of different certifications we have um, collier's university which is the only thing of its kind in our industry where people can or marketers can get certified in property marketing um, certificate and property research Oh wow! and so that is easy to put together once it's very challenging to keep updated you have to have someone that really knows you know the entire curriculum and making sure that we're putting the latest InDesign training or so it's linked, you know, it's constantly linked to the latest and greatest. So it it gets stale very easily. So keeping that up to date. And then for something like the software, we um, provide like a $500 gift certificate if you get certified. So just, you know, incentive for them to become experts in these tools and resources that we're using.
0: What, are, what metrics are you looking at as, as the marketing leader of Collier's? Like, what are some of the things that you are maybe paying attention to now? You know, maybe it's monthly, maybe it's daily. What are some of the things that you get, get excited about in terms of metrics?
1: In terms of metrics? yeah. Well, we, um, we, we take a look every month and we share it with our producers. One of the biggest uh, metrics that we pulled is how much visibility, um, bringing in some of our what used to be in-person only events has enabled us to get when we put them online and open to the public. And so before we didn't even think about recording and making. So now one of our best practices is to have this in-person event, but then also to record it Mm -hmm. and to get it out and make it a, you know, publicly open invitation and the amount of views um, that it, you know, that we're able to get. And we would never have known that had we just not been paying attention or focused on the metrics from, from month or quarter to quarter
0: when it comes to like the different you know because these segments that you're serving your you know, office retail industrial you know healthcare properties um multifamily. when it comes to just communication to these different segments of customers like do you find that you have to kind of you know get into the silo okay now we're dealing with people that are focused in office or, or retail and so maybe the language is different because their industry's was impacted differently in the last couple of years. So what they're struggling with is different than healthcare or you said retail made a big comeback. Like how do you view the customer communication in all of these segments? Cause you're, to me there are similarities but they're also impacted differently and they're different stakeholders and they might care about one thing and they don't really care about that thing. And so how do you yeah, connect with each of these industries in a way that's authentic where you're listening and where it's meaningful um, with all the changes happening in all these industries?
1: So we have leaders that head up each of the different practices, and we also um, specialize in getting reports out for each of those sectors. So market report data that's Uh. specific to that sector and our our global blog um, knowledge leader allows for anybody to be an author um, across Collier's, which is great. So even if you, oh, that's cool. so you don't have to have a weekly and it all is contributed. And so, and then we have all those tags. So if someone is looking for healthcare specific data, whether they're looking for it in your local market or if they're looking on a national trend or if they want some commentary, we have all of that content mm-hmm. that is being, so we're utilizing the people that we have in each of our offices to surface up the, the trends for those, you know, individual topics. So then that way, at least when people are looking, they can find some great, some great uh, commentary.
0: Yeah. How often are these trends changing and shifting in these spaces in your industry? We tend to write quarterly reports. Okay. Um,
1: We have standard quarterly reports. And then um, whenever there is a big uh, trend or change, that's when you start seeing these one-off commentaries that um, get written. Okay.
0: So like, for example, COVID or, you know, when this happened, I'm sure there was probably a shift in trends when a lot of industries that you serve, you know, in some ways, maybe more positive, some negative, but-
1: Remeasure by quarter. Did okay. it go down this quarter or did okay. it go up? How did it measure to this quarter the previous year? Mm-hmm. And then how did it measure to the last quarter?
0: What industries kind of surprised you uh, in kind of the, the comeback? I know you said retail was one that had to obviously shift and evolve, but what are some interesting maybe use cases you saw or stories around the way some industries mean, responded to this last couple years?
1: So I think COVID shut down a lot of retailers that were probably going to be shutting down in the next few years. It just kind of sped up that process. Mm. But then you saw a lot of new retail concepts and brands that started coming. They they kind of filled the need uh, that combined service and experience and speed. The ones that were able to shift quickly, you saw doing really well Uh, in Texas. We were able to have, you know, alcohol sales for the first time. Um, and so the retailers that, you know, were able to add those things to their menu quickly for checkout that did, you know, the carry out, you know, super easy that you took advantage of all these apps. Um, you saw them being, at least making it through and successful. It's really hard for them to find help. So that's been a challenge mm. for a lot of the retailers um, and has, I think, stunted growth, in, you know, in some areas, especially if people go and they can't get good, um, service, right? It um, might prevent them from going again, and so that's an ongoing. But they have uh, retails on on fire right now, and I'm working with several national brands that are looking to expand their footprints and mm. you know all over the nation. Okay, wow. And so industrial, every we don't have enough warehouse space. It's amazing. We I think we delivered in Houston over 28 million. Uh, square feet and or 24 million and absorb 28 million wow and so um, we'll continue to see more um, industri- industrial warehouses being built for um, those shipping mm. um, needs and then um, office took a big hit uh, and i still don't know if we know where that's going to go um, i think we're waiting to see how many companies bring everybody back after omicron or what that you Mm -hmm. know, perfect mixes. And then there's been a huge investment into multifamily. So multifamily is, is turning, it's a safe place to, to invest.
0: Why do you think there's been a big investment in multifamily?
1: I don't know. That's not my
0: love. (laughs) I'm curious. Yeah. I have other, I have other investor friends that are, they've been talking about the same thing. They're like getting in all these passive multifamily deals and they said it's really been great.
1: Well, I I think the move down here um, Mm. has helped at least here, you know, here in, in texas and it's just a safe it's just a safe bet because you have that reoccurring Mm -hmm. um income um every month and you know sometimes it's just it it doesn't take much to renovate and then you get a whole new set of um, residents that will come and so um it's it's a it's fun projects and Mm -hmm. it doesn't require you know you could be a starter investor or you could have you know be large so it it also accommodates people Mm. of, of all investment sizes
0: I think it's cool that you you know you get to sit at this you know this intersection of all these industries where I think some people based on what they're seeing and hearing would kind of look out in the world and be like oh I mean it's all, all everything's awful and nothing's you know everything's changing and and businesses are failing and people are dying and all these things and it's like but then you kind of get a really interesting glimpse into some like how these industries are actually responding at a big global kind of macro level of like what are folks doing regionally but also around the world in these industries and it's like to me it's much more encouraging to kind of you know (laughs) just to to hear and see like you're seeing investments in these things go up you're seeing the business you said did incredible last year and so that's got to be encouraging and also you know i think some people would forget that you know when you take a a deeper look at some of these industries and how they're responding and innovating you know um it's going to be encouraging you know it's
1: very cyclical i mean i've seen it over the time that you know some producers could have their best year and the next have their worst i mean so it's very cyclical in in all the sectors are
0: mm. now th- thinking in in that same vein of like being cyclical I'm curious about if there's a lot of competition in your space i mean you could argue there's some some top you know tier brands CBRE Newmark uh, Cushman and Wakefield some of these brands how competitive are you guys across the industry it's like is it pretty is it, to me it's like if you if you're If you're working with a customer or a client, they're pretty entrenched with you and they're pretty like, you know, I I can't see them switching to making switches super easy, like maybe with some services and products where customers are. Um, Is that the case in this industry or or do you feel like you really have to fight and protect your customers against all the other, you know, really big competitors that you have?
1: Well, most of our clients do get called on by all of the competitors. Uh And so maintaining that great relationship is crucial and key. Um, Collier's as a growing and larger brand, um, you know, I, I believe we have a seat at the table when it comes to some of the larger transactions because we've been, you know, a proven success and um, the tools and the resources that we're able to help our clients with. But when it comes down to the, the smaller clients, um, enabling those local producers to be able to maintain and manage those relationships um, has been key and one of the bigger challenges because, um, you know, it is easy to switch. I mean, it is, you know, it could be where you missed a renewal or you didn't give that person a call. And so, you know, customers or clients are going to go with the easiest, like this person's on it. They're interested. They're calling mm-hmm. me. So it's you've it's, it's still very much something that you have to stay on top of or else, you know, the, it, it is easy to lose people just because you're not on top of the follow up.
0: What does demand gen look like in your space?
1: That is because it's such a relationship. So what I've seen is um, even if we have, everything's perfect and we might be the best person for the job, I've seen where we've lost because the the broker that was chosen to either work on it, it they didn't mesh well with the client. Um, where, I mean, even um, genders play a big part. We don't see a lot of female producers mm-hmm. And I think it's actually harder for female producers because most of the decision makers, just it, the way that it is, they are older gentlemen, and so you you see, you, you know, you have to. Ha- it's it's a great working relationship, and it takes a lot of you know hours and negotiating and going back and forth. And so these these deals have to be with somebody that you enjoy doing business with. And so we see uh, we do a lot of personality training, so the disc mm, and knowing. Okay you know, when the client is upset or what they're looking for, maybe what they need, um, as far as, um, a lot of the brokers are, um, high eyes they're you know, they're salespeople. And sometimes like, you know, so teaching them to recognize, you know, if, you know, if, and when they'll need a little bit of an S or a C to accommodate, um, Mm. um, or to, you know, bring them into their, um, their deals. So that's, it's a lot of, um, it's a lot of training that way.
0: Wow. That's interesting. I I love the disc. I think that's brilliant. And that's, Super smart. What's been your experience kind of thinking about, you know, going from, you know, marketing, you know, marketing strategist, marketing consultant, you know, kind of working your way up now to being CMO because you you've gone from this individual contributor that's interested in marketing to, you know, building out things that didn't exist before to now bringing technology into an industry that needed a lot of innovation to leading marketing now as a leader What's the journey been like for you just going from like, you know, learning marketing and studying it and practicing it to now being at the helm of marketing? And there's a big transition there.
1: I think the the biggest thing is learning how to empower people and to let go uh, of, you know, it doesn't always have to be your way, but empowering people to do those jobs and those skill sets, figuring out what, you know, what they're passionate about and being, you know, letting them you know, spread their wings. Um, and so I've I've learned a lot. Um, one of my biggest learning lessons, probably at the very beginning, when I was a baby manager, I was ready to let somebody go just because it seemed like they weren't working. And fortunately, I had a great mentor that led me to some great management tips and books um, to, uh, to read. And I was able to turn around just simply by asking, you know, what is it that you need for me to be successful? And what can I do to help you? And just that, you know, the, you know, she, she at the time said just a weekly meeting. And so that it was amazing to see how that little question were able, uh, was able to turn things around. And so now the biggest thing is helping other people manage others well and, you know, help them train others. So when someone comes to me saying, you know, here's the issue, well, what do you think the answer is? Mm-hmm. And. Um, How can we help that person or how, you know, how can we help make the solution happen? Mm. And so that's been the biggest probably learning lesson is, is, you know, er, everything or every complaint almost is like an opportunity of how we can grow and get better.
0: Mm. So it's like going from, you know, contributing, managing people, managing managers, you know, developing leaders to, to support, because now you're, I mean, your visibility is, is probably somewhat limited because you're you are lead, leading the team. You can't get into the weeds maybe like you used to. Right. That's interesting. So, um, in terms of the the you know the age old question of you know how to how to align marketing and sales, you know, and especially in the world where you're at, where to me deal sizes are big, big deals from big relationships are on the line, higher stakes. You could say in some ways. You know, what are some of the things that you've seen in your time, and now of course being a CMO like to connect these two that oftentimes it's like, one doesn't know what the other one's doing, marketing doesn't know what they're doing, sales doesn't know what they're doing. How are you aligning these two things now in in 2022?
1: So the most successful thing that I think we've done to align is the age old start, stop, keep, where we do an Mm. exercise with everyone. What should we start doing? What should we stop doing? And what should we keep doing? Cause we get some great nuggets and some really low hanging fruit that we can implement. And we get to hear from everybody. And so being able to take those and then those have turned into, hey, let's brainstorm about this initiative. Let's flesh this out. Is this something that we want to do? Or is there, um, you know, some like 10 things that we can change very easily that would be a game changer? Maybe not take the work to do everything on a certain initiative, but what are some things that we can go ahead and knock out? And so that I think has kept our teams really kind of aligned with the sales team because we know what they want. Um, And then we hear their pain points. And so we're able to make it easier for them to, uh, to me, making it very, very easy for um, our sales team to access the data has been key there. You know, it's, it's great if you're, if marketing is able to come up with these great tools and resources, but if it's even just a little bit complicated, um, you know, to be able to access. So um, the biggest thing that I hear over and over again is is, you know, but I don't know how to access that, even if they've been there for 5 years. So, <laughs> Which
0: is the card. I, I don't know, know, how, I don't <laughs>
1: spoon-feeding it. Almost.
0: Wow. So, it also, you know, you said earlier how, you know, in this industry by and large is primarily a lot of older older men in this industry. Here you are, you know, leading marketing at a very prestigious, you know, business in your world where you have to go toe to toe with these people all the time, you know, and diversity and equity and inclusion is big now. And a lot of big brands that we speak to are are focused on this internally, you know? And so I guess two parts to this is just um, how are you able to, you know, to, to, in some ways you're kind of, you know, from my perspective, it's like, you're, there's a lot of things changing in in your world and industry in terms of like, you're now leading marketing and women are coming and leading businesses. And, and so there's this, this interesting conversions, but you still have to work with these, co- with your colleagues and be, you have to be, you know, be very amicable and, and and you have to align with them still. What's it been like as a leader, kind of aligning with people that may be a little more old school, right? Where, because your whole story has been about bringing the things that, you know, hey, let's bring the new, let's bring innovation and we're no longer licking stamps. Like we're, you know, we're sending emails in new ways, we're building dashboards and all these things. And so what's that kind of been like for you to you know, to be a woman working all the way up to the top and then still having to align with these stakeholders.
1: I've been fortunate to have a great mentor, leader and boss that has um, that I've worked with m- most of my career at ah. Collier's. Oh, and, cool. and what's great with the the new technology is being able to show those metrics for those new ideas and then learning just to be quiet and listen and then figuring out what the problem is and being able to solve it. I mean, we all have an opportunity to um, kind of, you know, make a difference. And sometimes we hit roadblocks and it takes us, you know, it takes us a little bit longer or mm-hmm. a little bit longer to persuade, um, you know, why, it, you know, it'd be a great idea or a win. And so you're not going to convince them, at the, you know, all the time at the very beginning, but being able to develop and show metrics and, being able to like here, you know, here's why um, and it's, I think it's a little bit easier now, but I also know what to shy away from uh, as well, just with the years of experience of, of what my, you know, what's really needed.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: It's been, it's been a lot easier, I think to come up with um, new solutions um, that I wouldn't have been able to do eight or six, you know, nine years ago, just okay. being so much newer in the industry.
0: Where do you see kind of innovation happening in your in your industries? Like, where do you see things kind of going? Are you experimenting a lot with marketing, or kind of you seeing a lot of industries change and evolve and pivot, and you kind of have an interesting seat at the table? But what are some of the things that you're looking into, whether it's AI or machine learning or other maybe out of the box things that are?
1: I think one of the coolest things, and I can't wait for this to be like the new norm, is being able to visualize a new development or a new space. Um, Gaming technology has made it much easier for people to create renderings of, of of new spaces, and so I can't wait for that. It's almost there. I feel like where anybody would be able to kind of like go in and kind of create their own virtual space or world, or and and then as you know, architects and the different developers um, try to go in and like hear some ideas, they'll be able to visually see it because it's kind of hard. I mean, we just went through. Um, an expansion space and uh, you know it's kind of hard to visualize that floor plan of what is this going to look like um, and being able to walk through it you know maybe uh, with even a headset on and actually like navigate wow. and wow. realizing hey this wall is actually kind of funny here okay. you know so even like de- just the element of designing better spaces
0: like ar kind of ar type stuff mm-hmm. like where you would kind of like go in go into, go into the space. space before it's built wow Are, is that being done now
1: um, it is, but it's expensive.
0: I love that, I, and you, and so that you like to see that more, yeah, rolled out. Why? Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, that that that'll be coming. That seems like an obvious. Yes. At some point, it'll it'll be here. There,
1: there's already companies that are um, are starting to do that, but I mean, you have to have a budget,
0: <laughs> right? In terms of like decision making in your space, like I sit here and I'm thinking, you know, you you gotta you have to be very strategic in deciding what you're doing, and certainly if you're impacting. Cause like what you're doing is impacting industries, you know? And like, and so how do you like, what kind of goes into the process of like, okay. Cause to be, me, I mentioned this, like this big, big ship that you're having to turn. It's like, there's not, you not been able to like stop a campaign and, and test it and pivot and move with the same kind of velocity maybe that other brands might. Where it's like, you're dealing with large spaces and big, big deal sizes. And you know, you're, when you're committing to a decision you kind of got to see that decision. It would just seem like it would take some time. And to me, you got to time these things, right? And you've been, look, a decade, or a decade plus there mm-hmm. right now. I mean, so it's like, you've obviously, anyone that's been in marketing, a marketing role, leader role that long, it's like, you've figured out how to make these strategic decisions to, to see that impact. What kind of what's your process there? And like, how do you like, just trust that? Because to me, you're it's like you're throwing kind of some Hail Marys in some ways where it's like you're okay, where is it going to fall? Once you throw it, once you commit to the strategy on how you're going to serve someone in retail or serve someone in, you know, family or industrial, that's the strategy. You can't necessarily change or is that is that off?
1: Um, Well, there's a lot of small things, but like I'm going through that right now where we made an an investment in this technology and it's taking, you know, we made the, you know, the decision in November and it's taking until now, like I'm just now like starting to do some user testing. And so it's taking those three or four months. And my hope was that we'd be if we were more uh, proficient at creating um, these dashboards that we'd actually be able to utilize like, okay, we're spending this. The, these resources here, we'll be able to handle more producers, you know, on a scale, you know, on scale because this is going to be taking less time. And so, uh, making that promise and then having, you know, working through it to, you know, to get there, it's kind of like a hurry up and wait kind of uh, uh, type thing. And it's going to get there, but re, you know, it's just following the steps that are needed and making sure that we're getting the right feedback and the right steps. So then that way, it's going to be a successful launch.
0: Do you, do you look at things like LTV, like, you know, like a lifetime value of a, you know, it's like you you could pick a segment like, you know, uh, industrial, right? And you're, you look at your clients and in the industrial world that you're servicing and, and supporting. Like, do you look at those and say, okay, these are worth so much to us. And then how much does it cost us to acquire someone in this world? That like you Do you look at those numbers and then determine, okay, well, we can invest, you know, this just for, you know, easy math, you know, this client's worth- you know, five million dollars a year, right to us, right? um to acquire them, we did this. this was the campaign, this was the strategy, whatever, and so that could maybe cost us a hundred thousand dollars. or do you look at those numbers
1: it's so it's so hard to to try to, to try to do that exercise i've I've tried it a few yeah. times, but you know sometimes real estate deals can take two years. I had a broker that was working on a real estate deal for ten years. Um, and, they, you know, it finally closed just because there's so many roadblocks that could pop up, whether, you know, it's city planning or zoning. You know, they could have one person on city council that decides that they don't like the development use. And so there's so many things that can, um, can you know, can move a project forward and or backward. OK. And things change. I mean, we were working on this really big development in Midland. It was supposed to be the tallest city west of, or the tallest building west of the Mississippi, and, you know, spent like two years marketing, it, and it was going to be retail and office and uh, multifamily all in, you know, in one place. And so the architect worked that, you know, even went into like making the building drawings, and um, the people of Midland turned it down. Mm. They didn't want that kind of building um, in mm. there. I'm in their space. And so um, it's it's hard to quantify wow. the value of, of customers just because you don't know what people are uh, cooking up.
0: Do you have to kind of, not you, but does your team or the folks in the area, do they have to kind of, as part of their strategy, go into these cities and start to find out what they care about? And I'm like, hey, okay, I met with this council in Midland and like
1: Normally, we're boots on the ground. like So we don't have an office in Midland. N- none of our large competitors do. Um, so normally, we're very much boots on the ground, and we know the environment. That's why it's very de- decentralized um, across the board, at least marketing-wise, but, and, and even our producers. Um, there's some clients that require a national attention and focus and strategy. Mm-hmm. And so we have corporate teams that you know specialize in those. But yes, knowing the local environment is key into getting a lot of these projects done.
0: Are there other other kind of roadblocks where you've either created technology or introduced technology to kind of solve these roadblocks in the past couple of years, like things that, you know, where technology is like, okay, we're getting rid of this thing that stopped us or slowed things down before Are there other maybe examples where technology has helped you overcome roadblocks.
1: We've um, enabled technology to get feedback and to just make it easier to get the information out. And so we've, um, you, you, using technology across the board, I think has helped, but I can't think of a specific roadblock. Okay,
0: Like if there was like, yeah, like I was thinking like uh, some manual, you know, part of the process that was like, you know, always done by this one, you know, either human to human. And it was always like, there's a delay and a snag. And like, oh, wait, we can actually build technology to support that. And all of a sudden,
1: So I'm I'm super nerdy and processes are a thing. So one of the the er, er, early on uh, we have this big annual event and it's invite only, and just even keeping up with the RSVPs and the invite list and the amount of people that were contributing to the invite list. It used to be manual. I want to say it was probably like a forty hour job just to do this invite list. And so getting it onto tech, a technology, we're able like here's your list, approve send changes. It's going to have the RSVPs. It took it from 40 hours to probably 10 hours. And that was an annual thing that, you know, we were able to repeat. Okay. And so taking a look at the processes is is what I think I nerd out on the most is like, how do we make that faster?
0: You feel like now that you've been there, as long as you've been there, you can influence change a little quicker in terms of like, hey, we need a, a way better solution around this process or procedure.
1: Because we're just able to implement
0: it. Right. You can just rock it now.
1: Mm -hmm. And we have so many people that know the tool well enough too, that they are constantly coming up with ideas of how we can do things. And then it's very easy to just make the change. I know that we're still dealing with like a legacy CRM system that has all of our um, accounting in it. Um, And so we haven't moved on from there. And it's my biggest pain to try to get the data out and be able to, do something with it. But that's not necessarily under, uh, under marketing. So I haven't necessarily been able to touch that yet. So working around it, um, how can I extract the data? Or how can I import the data very quickly and easily on a regular basis? So we kind of build the tool that we need it to do, uh-huh. at least for us and a lot of people.
0: You know who sponsors this show, right? Yeah, Salesforce. <laughs> and I'm like, if you, if you haven't spoken to Salesforce, I'm like, shameless plug, which we actually no, no, never no, do. I was but...
1: actually a, a client of Salesforce. Okay, awesome. You okay, know, cool. They're a national CRM platform.
0: Okay, great. No, yeah, they're, they've are they been a, a fantastic partner. But I'm like, if you need, you need CRM love, like Salesforce is a great one. What about just uh, cybersecurity and just security in general? It seems like marketing leaders now have to have this, you know, this line to the CTO or the CIO now where... Customers' data and marketing data is, you know, it's a big deal now. And so, what's been that kind of experience like for you as a marketing leader? Uh, I think
1: it's been a big pain because mm. we have to turn on MFA for everything. Mm. And, um, you know, every user, every application, you know, requires this, the, you know, the additional authorization. Mm-hmm. And so, which is great. We're, you know, our data is protected. We did right. go through. A slight fallback, and that's why it was turned on, is mm. because one of our systems did get um, into. And so um, now that it's been a year and a half later, and we're still having to even dealing with certain applications that you would want to use and integrate our 365 on. You know, we it goes through like these corporate, and, like you have to get approval. Mm. And it's a big chain, mm. um, and when you have 16,000 employees around the world right. accessing different apps, it could. I think it can slow. I think because of the security that we have to put in place, it actually sometimes can slow the innovation that we want to bring to the teams.
0: So how do you, how do you combat that?
1: Um, You're really nice to the IT people.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's great. That's amazing. And so uh, I love, you know, I, when I get to speak with marketing leaders like you and just asking kind of like some of their, you know, what are some of the things they've cultivated over the years, you know, of like, what's their magic, like what's their secret. And like, you hear things like that. It's like, uh, I listen. I just really listen. I cultivated listening really well. and you've said that more than once today, or you know, treating people nicely and respecting people. And, you know, for me, it's like hearing a marketing leader at the helm, you know of a UPS or these huge brands, um even like yourself, talk about some of these really basic but profound things that I think there's a through line there to you can develop a real career, you know, and and not forgetting those really important things of like treating people nice and listening. and, you know, and I think, those things get missed a lot. And I think a lot of people are thinking, oh, I have to, there has to be this super unique angle I got to bring to the table if I'm ever going to be a leader at that level. And it's like, well, maybe, but also like, don't forget these core things of like, listen, be nice to people. Big team player. You know? Yeah. Yes. What's the, what's the marketing team like? Like, what's the culture of the marketing team of Collier's like? I think you'll have fun. I would imagine like you'll like to have fun.
1: Oh, yes. Well, especially (laughs) in the office that I'm in, we have um, a wine and now beer fairy that, you know, makes visits. Mm. And so we we have invested in a great office space to everybody has standing desks and, you know, new chairs. I mean, so we've invested in this environment for people to come into and work. But culturally, we don't have any locked doors, um, which is a big thing. And we just have a, we have this NAR no rule. I love rule. So that. So even if they're if if it's a producer that you know is well known and they have you know great um, sales, if they don't mesh well culturally, mm-hmm. then we don't want them because we we're, we we uh, want to protect our culture. Yeah. And so we're a big family. We spend most of the you know most of our waking hours with um, with everyone, and I love. I love our our brokers that appreciate um, time off as much as anybody else does. I've been so amazed by the amount of evenings and weekends where, you know, email goes quiet. And so it's been a lovely industry to be in where everybody has their families. And, you know, there is obviously deals that need to happen on the evenings or weekends or, you know, emergencies. But it's not the norm. And we Mm -hmm. protect those. And so um, protecting People, uh, you know, having a great work-life balance is part of our culture. And then also, you know, if they have a reputation for not being the nicest, not
0: allowing them in. Wow, I love that. Has that has N A R always been a part of the? It's is it is, it, the, is it spoken or it's unspoken? The first
1: bullet point on our recruiting slide at our monthly meeting I is N A R rule.
0: Wow, <laughs> who created that? Who was the who was the uh, that le, would, legendary uh, human? That, that who, would
1: be uh, Patrick Duffy in our Houston office.
0: Okay. Well, Patrick, <laughs> shout out to Patrick on that one. I I love that. I think there. Um, I've worked at places and I've certainly heard of that before. Where just there's a there's a, there's a no policy or no <laughs> I love and I think to to truly stick to it as well it, it makes a big it makes a big difference it makes a huge difference on on the culture so protecting that I think is awesome what are you most excited about in the way the digital world's shifting right things like web 3.0 and metaverse and like what do you how do you think that impacts the, your world at all I
1: think I'm most excited about how easily it's starting to come to uh, connect our technologies And being able to do that without having some really expensive um, third party platform, you know, do it for you where you're going to have to it's going to take time to change a little thing where these these platforms that we're using are, you know, it's kind of like built into the back end where, you know, this data needs to go in and data needs to come out. And so they're kind of building their systems to easily do that because they need to do it, too, for um, for their side. I love that some of the bigger um, platforms that we're utilizing, they're heavy users of their own systems. And so I see that they're um, developing their tool and it's exactly what we're needing as well.
0: So when it comes to like, you know, you think about some of these things you're seeing online in the metaverse, like people selling land, right, in the metaverse and selling properties in the metaverse, are you thinking about at all getting into that since you're in the technically, you know, you're selling space or acquiring space? It seems like that there, there would be a play there it's at some level, of like where you could get in the Metaverse and buy or lease space from Collier's in the Metaverse.
1: Um, we haven't just yet.
0: Okay, okay, <laughs> okay,
1: okay, We haven't just yet. There is, um, you know, what's interesting is the, real, this virtual real estate. Where you know you'll you'll pull something up and someone's you know put a big billboard on a building virtually, Mm. and who owns that space? Okay, and so you're seeing legally like in legal you know in the legal descriptions of you know certain leases, but it's this whole new world that we're um, you know we're already starting to see, Um, and it's gonna I think it's gonna be really interesting because if you're You know a class a property there you're going to want to control what people can see outside your building even in a virtual world
0: Mm. Uh, that's really interesting yeah i have a lot of friends that are really bullish in that world and some are playing you know i would say at a a decently high level creating things gamifying i mean Mm -hmm. coins and games and blockchain stuff that i'm still learning so that's interesting um what about being a mom and being a cmo like, how's that? Because I also, you know, you talk about you and your mom and how your mom really it seems like kind of fostered a way for you to connect with other women and like part of the women's club or, or the, right? Was it the women's club?
1: It was the women's center. Women's so, center, right?
0: domestic abuse. Okay. Center. Oh, wow. So I got to learn a lot about, yeah about just everything
1: and, you know, in that field. Wow.
0: Yeah. So, so with what's, what's kind of been the balance for you? Cause again, at the helm of marketing, huge brand, big reach. You got two girls at home. Like, what's that like?
1: Uh, so I, it's probably one of the reasons why I haven't moved is because I know what's needed and um, the flexibility. You know, I know when I can be flexible and you know when to put in the hours and being able to work from wherever. But um, right now it doesn't require a lot of travel, and so it's really important. And so I'll I'll be here for a while because I want to make sure that I have that time for th- those those growing teenager girls um, and everything that they're in. But then also uh, my husband used to be a police officer. And so that was, I never knew if he, you know, nights or weekends or holidays. Mm. And so he's recently retired and he's now in a service industry where he gets to set his own schedule. So now he's able to be home Wow. um, when they get home from school. And so that it's a great, it's definitely, it takes two and, I am um, really fortunate to have to have him right there by me because I don't know if I'd be able to manage both. Is he Houston? Well,
0: Houston PD. He started with Houston. Oh PD. wow, <laughs> that's cool. What's he doing now?
1: Uh, insurance for Goosehead.
0: Wow, what is what a shift? That's like, <laughs> it yeah. is. you yeah. know
1: what though? It, it it took him a little bit I to figure that. out what he wanted to do after um, after being law enforcement. And that's and that's tricky. Um, just because you know when you just have one type of experience, right. how do you? So he tried corporate. He tried even like promotional products, but this is a combination of what he really loves to do, which is shop because he can shop forty carriers and help people. Because wow. he and so it's been really great to be on this journey with him and him cool. finding
0: what he he really wants to do. And then, I mean, having you know, being married to the CMO, you know, who's, <laughs> who, who might know a, who might know a couple of things about marketing is probably not a bad not a bad deal. <laughs> you know, I just can imagine. Um, that's awesome. Okay. What else do you want to talk about? We have a little bit of time uh, or a question that you wish I would have asked you that I didn't ask you yet.
1: No, I guess the only one is that the book, like what, like what book are you into? Because I'm a heavy, heavy reader. Perfect. Um, And I don't know if I have booked specifically for marketing, but one that I've read over again that I don't think is well known is a book called Mindsight. Okay. And it actually was sold to help you be better at emotional intelligence with the power of your own mindset mm. but to me the biggest thing that i learned is how others may come to their emotion or their state of being because of how they were raised and it has broadened my perspective and i think just made me more compassionate about any time i come up with a meeting and you know you know e- um, even when you know, you hear a brash or people get stressed or, you know, it's just opened up my perspective and compassion I love for that. working with others. Cool. I'm
0: going to get that book too. Mindsight. Awesome. How often do you look to other industries for marketing, you know, strategy or support? You know, I, I don't sometimes it seems like a lot of times CMOs don't always talk to each other outside of what they're doing, if they have the time or um, but do you do any of that? Do you kind of look at other... I'm in a
1: couple of CMO networking okay. uh, groups that are smaller. I love I love one because it's just maybe like six of us locally okay. um, that meet up. And then also Commercial Real Estate Women Crew is one that I'm involved with that allows me to meet marketers in my industry, but n- not necessarily direct competitors. Okay. So that's... Uh, that's um cool. uh, Which has been helpful to network there because I felt... Um, I found myself highly networked within Collier's, but not sure. necessarily within the industry or with, you know, locally. And so being part of that group has um, been great. Um, and then I volunteer a lot. Um, really? Yes. So uh, I help with the Foodie Awards at the Houston Rodeo, which is a lot of fun. Um, they, we judge and oh, um, really all the all the new food um, in six different categories. And so we have the rodeo oh. coming up in March. Um, and then I'm also part of a, uh, a buyer's group that buys at the rodeo. So very okay. Texan okay. Uh, thing to do. And then also with the Fort Bend Education Foundation.
0: Ah, very well. Okay. That's awesome. CMO club. Are you part of the CMO club? No. Looked into it at all? No. Okay. Don't, don't haven't heard about it.
1: Maybe, maybe heard about okay. it
0: but have not looked. It's it. It's one that I've, I've seen pop up a little bit more now and it seems like, it does seem like yeah, some of them, now there's I think regional, like they get together in different parts of the country but the folks that are inside the group I'm like, oh, those are CMOs that, like, a lot of those we talk to all the time and um, so some pretty big brands in there and I'm, I'm always on the lookout for other actual communities of like CMOs that are helping each, like genuinely helping each other out and so that's what, another one that I hear I hear about a lot. I think it's connected, in some ways, to Salesforce, I don't remember, but a
1: yeah. lot that I get pulled into are a lot of um, B 2 C. Okay, and it it just doesn't right. It, it there's so much of it that doesn't apply because we're not getting leads online or selling products online. It's mm-hmm. very much a relationship.
0: Do you have an account based marketing strategy or, or focus there at all?
1: And we do and we don't, but it's it's so segmented. Mm-hmm. It, it's so segmented, and there's not necessarily. One title, a person that's making that decision, and, and that's constantly evolving too. And there's so many different types of investments and buyers and, and groups that it's, it's hard to bucket uh, one um, you know any one okay. um, thing, especially nationally. So um, locally, um, it may be easier to target you know some, uh, some things, but nationally it would be almost impossible.
0: Mm, OK. Are you doing anything interesting with content, like creating content for your, your buyers? Like is it you know interactive, engaging content? Are you changing the the stories that you're telling at all or well, what does we, that look like now? We try
1: to uh, take some of our content, make it more interesting. I know that right now Texas is working on a campaign called the real estate game, where it's a whole piece that relates office tenant rep to playing um, football. And it's going to go out around the same time as Super Bowl
0: where it relates to
1: you wouldn't play football without a coach. And so you wouldn't want to do an office deal without a broker.
0: Nice. Okay, see, (laughs) that's a lot of room for creativity. Okay, cool. All right, let's get into some fun kind of lightning round questions. And the lightning round is brought to you by our friends at Salesforce. Uh, Salesforce brings marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com forward slash marketing. We love you, Salesforce. Okay, lightning round, first question. This is an easy one. Texting or talking? Talking. Okay, see, I was I, gonna guess texting. Unless I mean, had a
1: full keyboard. <laughs> okay, I was like, oh, so i
0: was thinking tech nerd. You're like me, tech nerd. I'm like, she's probably a heavy texter, but you, okay, you like to talk, okay. Um, what do you love and appreciate about yourself?
1: So this just happened a couple of times uh, the last few weeks, usually after a stressful situation. I've been told that I'm the calmest person that people have ever met.
0: Mm, okay. What is your favorite day of the week?
1: That would be Sunday.
0: Sunday, okay. Live Bible
1: study and okay. getting ready for the week.
0: Favorite city in the U.S. besides H-Town?
1: Um, I would say El Paso. Have lots of memories Paso, wow. and family okay. there. All and right. so if I get to visit a place on repeat that would be where it
0: is just right. because of everyone there okay all right last film you saw in the theater that's tough i know i would have to think about that
1: I was like, the last latest video is in kanto which oh, like has that soundtrack me, yes. on on repeat yes. yep.
0: <laughs> all the kids are talking about that one too yeah yeah okay. okay okay but do you remember the theater can you recall no okay it's no been worries. Re- it's been a really
1: long time
0: Would you rather be able to speak every language in the world or be able to talk to animals? Every language. Okay. Uh, Favorite holiday? Easter.
1: Easter. Can't go wrong with uh, chocolate bunnies and Jesus. (laughs) (laughs)
0: That's great. Um, Favorite live concert?
1: That would be the rodeo.
0: Okay. All right. It's like a
1: three-week live concert series. (laughs) Okay.
0: Awesome. And that's what's coming up, you said, in Houston? Yes. Okay. Um, scale of one to 10, how good of a driver are you?
1: I would say an eight.
0: Um, yeah, I was, I, my judgment is you would make it, you're probably a great driver. Um, something wise your elders taught you?
1: Um, Every moment is an opportunity
0: to mm. grow. Mm. Uh, would you pick invisibility or super strength? Super strength. Oh, okay, okay. Is it wrong for a vegetarian to eat animal crackers?
1: All I have is laughter for this one. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I've heard that. That's been a response I've gotten. Um, If you weren't in marketing, what would you be doing? Volunteering. Okay. Any particular world you'd be serving in or just full-time volunteer everywhere? Yes.
1: Probably, probably so. You know, community um, and enhancing the community. I feel like that's what I do now at at work is I get to enhance our community. Mm -hmm. So volunteering and making, you know, making the community a better place.
0: Mm. What's your least favorite marketing buzzword? Bandwidth. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Which I
1: am, I get accused of using
0: myself. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What would you go back and tell your younger self about being a marketing leader?
1: That's not a speedy question answer. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I would go back and uh, tell myself to pick up reading probably a lot sooner than I did reading reading Ah. I I, I didn't pick up reading and most of the reading I do is still audible just because of schedules and and the commute allows me to but I wish I would have picked up uh, more more reading uh, when I was younger
0: okay I like that okay here's a couple I'm throwing in there at the end Um, few people know that you like to
1: Um, board games
0: I love board games oh great and
1: we get really competitive
0: Catan Um, player so are you a Catan
1: player Uh,
0: No. (laughs) Settlers of Catan. Didn't know that one. Strategy game. Don't start it. It's dangerous. (laughs) It's dangerous. Um, What do you like to play? What board games are kind of some of your favorites?
1: Um, Well, we have the 11 and 12 year olds. So anything that they can play. A new favorite one is called Salad Bowl. And that can be up to as many people as possible. And I did make a lot of people play that over the holidays get together.
0: Okay. I like that. I haven't seen that one. Okay. Name a time when you made a powerful choice.
1: When... I was I was sticking up for a company initiative and decided to um, send an email to someone that was in a bigger position than I was to stick up for this initiative because he was not talking well, but it was an initiative that our company decided to move forward with. And um, it was the only time that I feel like I've been called into the principal's office and I just kind of had to sit there and, you know, let him speak. And um, afterwards, I didn't even realize it, but I was holding a grudge. And there was this ounce of unforgiveness. Um, and I didn't realize it until I did um, when I was doing some self-reflection. And the next time I came into the office, and I, I guess, decided emotionally to forgive that person and I smiled and I didn't realize that my face was telling like the world the unforgiveness, but face and then you know, came, uh, he was able to come into my office afterwards just because I smiled at him. And we had this great mutual relationship now. And, you know, eventually, you know, he not necessarily apologized, but admitted that, you know, he was wrong, but it was really, it was really tough. And, um, and then not realizing that I was also kind of fueling the fire. Um, And so that was a big decision just to let it
0: go. Wow. That's great. That's a great example. That might be one of my favorite examples. Wow. Um, If you had unlimited creativity and support, what would you do?
1: I would want to create and design things. Art.
0: Mm, Okay. Okay. I'm terrible
1: at art though. So I I would love a lot more creativity. I'm I'm an
0: appreciator of art like you. I I can't create it, but I, (laughs) I like and pick things out. I'm like, I love that. That's beautiful, but I can't create it. Courage is...
1: Speaking the truth no matter what mm, I love that
0: Chrissy Nolan thank you for being here on marketing trends this was a really cool conversation I'm glad you could come down the road from Houston to be here and what a great like what a great way to like set 2022 up for more momentum at Collier's I know a lot of stuff great great year last year still on the upswing this year um congrats to all the growth to you and the team but most importantly thanks for being on the show it was awesome
1: awesome thanks for having me